I see. You've got the French vanilla ready for after you taste it. Yeah, okay. Makes sense now. Consider me impressed. Thank you for that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Consider me not impressed. <laughs> Welcome to Coffee, Rants, and All Things Christian with the Parkview Pastors. My name is David Harris, and joining me as always is Daniel Morris, John Seth Sammons, Surviving and Thriving, Scott Yo, and Mike Tatum. What were you supposed to, what did you say last time? What was your, what was your phrase? Yeah, Daniel, you missed your cue. What was it? Tee oh, That's it. Go ahead. I can't believe I forgot that. I mean, you already did it. It's ruined. Just put, that, just put that in when Daniel Oh, I will. Don't worry. That's amazing. So I brought in a coffee today. Um, we've tried this brand of coffee before, but it's Brandywine Coffee again. This one's from Costa Rica. It is a red honey processed coffee, and we just made it in our coffee pot that's in the office. So we'll give it a try. While they're trying it, I'll explain a little bit about what a red honey process means. So most coffee that you guys probably drink is washed, which is where they take the coffee fruit, which is a little cherry, and they just take the seeds out and they let those dry uh, under the sun. A natural processed coffee is where you leave all the skin and fruit on it and you just let that age in the sun. And a honey process is where you remove the skin, but you leave the pulp and you let that age in the sun. So That's such a funny word. Pulp. 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 Yep. Don't know why they call it honey process because it has nothing to do with honey. But, hey. It's pretty good. It's, it's good. Real it's good. super hot. It's very hot. I think it's good, too. I think it's uh, very light, almost tea-like, kind of like some of the ones we've had on here. They say, the coffee company says, they taste red apple, black cherry, and cranberry. I don't know about that. It's Fruity. light. I See, I don't I don't taste the, a fruit in it at all the, on this one. I don't. I'm sure I feel some like I will. Could, I could smell some fruit when it was grinding. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can even smell it, it now. For me, it, it's almost like a traditional smoky type of really? flavor but it's light so it's it's good i mean mm-hmm. but it's more of a traditional coffee flavor that's just light yeah that makes sense now how hot but it's temperature really hot wise, so it's hard to tell see that's what i was gonna ask because i poured mine in the office it's cooled down some and i definitely do get some fruit taste really? to it. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll wait a little while in yeah about 10 minutes i may be able to try it again what's your skylar french vanilla no oh okay I'm considering uh, drinking it without French vanilla. Huh? Hey. Oh. That means it's decent from our standards, yeah. right? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Pretty good. We'll report back and see how much of it he drinks without the Right, <laughs> right. We'll wait. Yeah. We will, uh, we'll tag the, the mark, the second mark, when Skyler pours the French vanilla into, into his coffee. <laughs> 50 minutes in. Skyler's now finished his cup. <laughs> that is really good, though. By the way, I'll brag on Mike for a minute. He got the office a Christmas gift this past year out of his own pocket. He bought a Breville coffee machine for us, and that thing makes really good coffee. Because it does. this doesn't taste far off from what I would have expected a pour over to taste like, in my opinion. This tastes really good. It does so. taste like, now that you say that, it does taste like a pour over, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that we were drinking that uh, across the river coffee in the office, I could, I mean, it really has, has a distinct flavor. That's not what this is. 
Um, but a while back we had an across the river blend on our podcast. Uh, and I had bought a bag of that and had it at home and was using it for pourovers, but then brought the rest of the bag in, uh, for the office. So we've been making that in the coffee pot and having tasted that and then having, you know, just a regular kind of coffee roast, which mm-hmm. to me, that's what this is. Right. Uh, there really is a distinct flavor difference there. Yeah. I will say with across the river roasters, if you have an espresso machine, their coffee is really good on espresso. Really? That's what okay. I've got at my house right now. And it, it does a really good job. It tastes great. <laughs> I saw the craziest Instagram reel talking about coffee. This dude took an orange and cut a slice out of it, put it over his espresso cup and put, cut a hole in the middle of it. So when he was pulling the espresso, it landed on the orange and like was filtered through the middle of the orange, like into his cup. And then you just drank the espresso. I thought that was really interesting <laughs> because apparently orange juice and espresso is a thing now. I've never tried it. I've never tried it. I think it's like a New Mexico thing that is now popular like everywhere. It just sounds weird to me. What's the ratio? Do, do you it's know? a glass, like a small glass of orange juice, right? With just a double just shot. Just a double over shot. It. Yeah. And people say so it's, it's good. So it's not like an old fashioned espresso where you've got mostly espresso or two a double shot of espresso right. with orange bitters. Is, no. Is yeah. This is okay. a lot more like orange juice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the main thing would be orange juice, and then it just has like a coffee taste, which to me yeah. in my mind that doesn't sound like it would taste very good. It could, yeah. depending on the coffee. But well, you if you put a double shot of espresso in Sprite, or a double shot of espresso in a Dr Pepper, or whatever we're putting double shots of espresso hey, in, that's fair. Why not orange juice? That's fair. Here now just happened. Yeah, the French vanilla. <laughs> Yeah, I was I thinking I could drink this whole cup of coffee without the French vanilla, but but why would you? Yeah. Why? Why? You know? Right. One could do that. <laughs> but should <laughs> one? one? Should. <laughs> That's awesome. Banter, banter, banter. Yeah, we'll move on to our banter topic for today. Um, it is John <laughs> Seth's turn. God help us all to intro this. So <laughs> Here we are, folks. Banter for today, number one. Correct pronunciation of the word. Caramel. Fellas? Well said. Well said. The I stars have aligned. You sound you sound yes. surprised. <laughs> it's caramel. <sighs> caramel. You guys are probably right. <laughs> but I say caramel. There you go. Well, so well, definitely Let's right. let Snickers decide. Happy peanut soul over chocolate covered mountaintops and waterfalls of caramel. What did they? That, I, that was terrible. Did I hear that right? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> what is that? Hey, I'm a that was a Snickers campaign from like the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, and it hey. was great because that was like the best in that in my mind. That was the best jingle ever <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> I I do believe that I may have used that clip in a sermon. <laughs> One time in the early Do you remember the context of this? I I don't. (laughs) So I think that Snickers said caramel. Yes. But I'm wondering if that is creative license so that it matched the the song. You mean Mm. like we mess up real words in songs? Yeah. Hymns? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. right. Like what? Well, like there's apostrophes all over the place. Mm -hmm. Oh. You can never. You never say every. Yeah. Every. Yep. Every. Uh, 
Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All I'm hearing is that Snickers agrees with me that it's caramel, not caramel. So I'll take. Actually, it. I I they think make- it's caramel. It's caramel. caramel. Yeah, it's you, like caramel. you were actually you, wrong twice. twice. There. <laughs> if you put three caramel. syllables in it, then then you know, caramel. <laughs> caramel. 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 That's, That's not, not even the, the same time. word. Caramel. Is that not what they said? <laughs> what caramel? Are we saying caramel. the same thing right now? Caramel. Wait, what did they say on the commercial? Caramel. Caramel. Oh, yeah, no, because caramel. they're singing it. Caramel. You're mixing yeah. the two, the right way and the wrong way to say it. Okay, okay. What about Reese's? Mm. Reese's. What about Reese's? What, Reese's. How else what would about you say? How do you pronounce it? My wife <gasps> would contest Oof. that it is Reese's. Reese's. Like the name Reese? Reese's. Reese's. Say it again. Say it again. John Reese's. Uh, no, it's not Reese's. Reese's is how I you're, say it. You're putting an extra E on it. What, how do you say it? Reese's. Okay. There yeah, we yeah. see. There you go. Reese's. Yeah. Reese's. 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 Well, yeah, exactly. Reese's That's the why problem. it's not Reese's. Yeah. Reese's. Reese's pieces. No. Yes. Reese's pieces. I will. I will concede. What are you that saying? That the way it's spelled, Reese's. It's Reese's. 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 And so that's why they could create Reese's pieces because it rhymes. Yes. So I will concede that, but I'll also admit that I'm all, I'm going to continue to say Reese's. I always say Reese's. What about the cup then? What do you say? Reese's cup. No. no. Reese's. Cup. Say Reese's cup. Reese's cup. Yes. Well, that, that doesn't is, rhyme. Wait, wait, wait. That is correct. What do you call a Reese cup? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Oh, there's no S on the end. Reese. Yeah. Wait, you 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 call it what? We need we need it's a just one guy. R E E S I Reese Reese's cup. Reese cup. Reese. I don't think it's Reese's. Oh, Reese's cup. Reese's. Reese's. It's Reese's. That's way There's, too long. It's a peanut butter, say peanut a Reese's cup. cup. It's a peanut butter cup though. It's not just a cup. So it's a Reese's peanut, peanut butter, butter cup. cup. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cup. No, 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 no. Reese's peanut yeah, butter Reese's. cup. Reese's. Yeah, Reese's. Reese's. If we're gonna three, two, one. Reese's. Reese's. We're saying no. the same thing. No, you're not. <laughs> I know, Mike. You did not just become best friends. <laughs> Reese's. Why haven't I ever said the S? <laughs> this is a Reese's Reese cup. question. This a Reese's cup. cup. I've never said like Reese's cup. Without the S, it would just be Reese. Reese cup. Well, I put the E there. Like uh, Reese. But no, you don't say Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I know. I'm understanding what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm. Dumbfounded by the fact that I've never right. said the end. <laughs> I'm just over here saying my own thing. Reese well, cup. Reese cup. <laughs> but if you say it with confidence, everyone around you thinks it's right. So this brings up a question. Daniel, Daniel just can't believe so he's guys, on staff here. So you guys go around saying a Reese's cup? No, yes. I don't say Reese's well, cup. What do you say? Reese's. That's what Emily Reese's. Reese's. Says, Reese's, says Reese's. What it is. Reese's. Reese's cup. There's That's enough still ways. Reese's. There's still ways. It's, it's a Reese's. peanut butter Reese's cup, cup, guys. If I Reese's asked for a Reese's, cup. everybody would know what that is. You don't have to say cup. I don't know. Exactly. I would know what that is. I would submit that you could say Reese's, 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 and cup after it, and people know what you're talking about. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's but so two of those would be wrong. Reese's. Right. You can say that correct. Yeah, because the Reese's question cup. is the correct pronunciation. Yes. Right. Which evidently is Reese's. Yes. I'm, I'm just not going to go to that. <laughs> I'm just not going to go to Reese's cup. I don't think Skylar's okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what, he might my need, mind is messing with me right, right now. I think he needs therapy. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Number two, weird smells. 
Gas or pass, baby. <laughs> you've heard gas or crocs. pass. You've heard crocs hot or not. Now it's weird smells. Gas or pass. All right, so gas. <laughs> thank you, thank listen, you for that context. Yes. Gas or pass like means this. gas is like you're gassed up. You're ready to go. You want that junk. That's what gassed means. Yeah. I'm gassed for this. Like, oh. I'm ready to go. See, maybe I'm a full different... tank and ready, baby. <laughs> That's what maybe in talking about weird ready. smells, yeah. there could have been a different choice. Of... <laughs> I'm with you, Mike. I was that was nowhere near where I was. <laughs> weird smells, gas or pass? Yes. Wow. <laughs> need to, you, you guys just need to learn to communicate in 2022. Thank you. Yeah, like this coffee. This coffee's gas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Oh, here we go. Where smells? Gas like, or pass? What is happening? Number one, Sharpies. Gas or pass? I'm gassing that sucker, dude. Smelling Sharpies. I love the are, smell yeah, of that's Sharpies. What, that's what, are we? Oh, we're smelling these things. Yes. Yes. Weird. weird <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Weird smells. Gas okay. or pass? Weird I got smells. I got gas focused on gas or pass. I, mean, I forgot the whole smell issue. You predicted that right, Dan. Good job. <laughs> um, Sharpies, gas or pass? I'm going to pass. pass. Gas gonna is a pass. good thing. Pass is a bad okay. thing. Okay, Sharpies, there gas. We go. Thank you. You, you like, like to smell good Sharpie. I love a good high of Sharpies. That's why you can't find any in our office. Me and Mike have them. Can you guys imagine just walking to their office? What are you doing? Daniel, uh, gas or pass? Oh, he said pass. Oh, pass. Okay, yeah, all right. So. All right, here we go. New, new car smell, gas or pass? Gas. 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 Yes. Absolutely. Yes. No, what? I don't like it. What? Oh, you like the... Okay. I, I, I don't like. I don't like it. You like, like the, the thoroughly used car <laughs> smell? Is that the smell with some like? gas? Maybe I in just it? haven't. <laughs> the, maybe I just haven't smelled a new car in so long. <laughs> it smells good. Take my word. Take our word for it. It smells good. It sm- <laughs> it smells. My gut reaction. It smells pass. better than a minivan with three cars. Yes, that's where yes. I was going. Yes. Like in, in his defense, you know, right. there is a distinctive smell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right, here we go. Definitely Freshly mowed grass. Gas, gas. every time, yes. baby. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I always yes. think of, um, when I think of that, remember the Titans. When uh, Denzel Washington walks out and he like sniffs the field there and he's like, this is my sanctuary. It's my sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yes. good. Is that, that you name yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah, I think okay. so. I think so. Daniel, gas? Yeah. Everybody gas. loves. I love the cut. Colorado gas? I love like the smell of fresh cut grass. Because I know that I'm not the one that just. <laughs> See, mine is mine is the opposite. Right, because, because I it's something it, you've it's accomplished. Like, yes, yes. yes. For right. me, it's something I've bought and paid for. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Bonfire, gas, gas, gas. 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 Bonfire with gas, gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I unanimous. Like, uh, All right, fires, cool. Yeah. This one, hey, y'all may think different of me here, but chlorine, pass, pass, gas, no. Pass. That gas. will hurt pass. your brain. Gas. That I will love the smell of it. M- well, maybe that Makes explains sense. a lot. Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> when you're Between that and the sharpies, I'm pretty Mike. sure chlorine kills brain cells. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Wait How a second. <laughs> if you truly, but if you if you inhale chlorine, I mean, you can't breathe for like five minutes. What if do you, you do when really you swim? Inhale, when you walk into a pool, like a pool room, and okay. you smell the chlorine. Okay, that's completely different than what I'm thinking because <laughs> I take care of my pool, and I have to hold my breath every time I pull chlorine tablets out or every time I'm pouring chlorine. You can't breathe chlorine. That's completely different from the smell of a chlorinated pool. 
So is a chlorinated pool gas or pass? Well, that's good. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Because that smells clean. Yeah, so, so we're on the same page. So yes. we're on the same yeah. page. I still say pass, though. Yes. Yeah, I think I'd say Are you pass. sticking with pass? No, I could get behind a chlorinated pool. Yeah. Hey, listen. That'd be okay. It just, it, like, it just makes me feel good if I'm, in a, if I'm at a resort... And I'm going into a swimming pool. That's a common area swimming pool. I wonder there's lots of And it's of indoors. Yeah. I like the smell of chlorine. Amen. Yes. Because yeah. some, because some I, kid's been in there. Exactly. You know? Exactly. New books. Oh, gas. gas. Oh, yeah. Pass. <clears throat> well, that explains a lot. Yes. Old books. Gas. gas. Still. Pass. Even better. What? Old books even better. Old books smell like mold to me. If your books are moldy, then they do smell like mold. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not the that's book smelling works. like mold. That is that's the, the, mold that is the mold smelling like mold. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've, I don't think I've smelled an old book and be like, mm, yes. Man, okay. <laughs> I don't think any of us have either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever so, known. That to, to say gas requires that level of passion. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I do. You. I do have to admit, though, when I pick up a book, one of the first things I do when I pick up a book and I open it is I, I, I smell them. I do the pages. Mm-hmm. Like. I know it's kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, favorite one gasoline. Mm, pass. Mm. pass. Gas or pass. pass. I'm a pass, actually. It makes me feel nauseous. Oh, no, I might say gas. <laughs> because uh, it's literally gas? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, pass. Yeah. Gas is not... I mean, it's okay. It's not bad. Just, I wouldn't, like, sniff it. I think that's dangerous, too. Yeah, he's, probably. He's going to restrict himself to the Sharpies. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I don't sniff Sharpies. For the record. That's not what you I just, said. I, yeah, I know. Me I know. either. I just, I just don't think that the smell of Sharpies is bad. But see, back in the day, before you guys were, like, born... Before they had Xeroxes, they had these things. They were like, um, I forget what they were called. I got to look that up. But they had this, instead of running it on Xeroxes, they had this drum. And so you would run this copier and this drum would, would, would put out the copies of this paper. But it was, it would. Lithograph? And the, the paper, I mean, the first thing they did when the teacher passed out the paper in class, everybody, the whole class, like at once, would put hmm. their nose up to it and start smelling it because. Huh. Because of the way that the paper smelled coming off the copy machine. Wow. All right, this one's off script. Oh, dear. The smell of rain. Gas. Gas or pass. I like rain. Gas. Yes. Gas. It's nostalgic for me. I don't know why. Yeah. It just... Mimeograph, I think, is what it was. Wow. Oh. All right. That was good. Band, was. band, band. <laughs> Whoa. <Sorry, laughs> outro to the banter section. Thank you, John Seth. You're welcome. We're going to move to our doctrine discussion for today. I think this is the last one in our 12-week doctrine series. Um, it's been good, um, and we're going to end with the doctrine of eternity. Again, doctrine itself, what does Scripture have to say about eternity, and how should that sink from our minds into our hearts and affect our everyday living? Man, I don't know about you all, but uh, when, I was, when I was contemplating as a, little, as a little kid, when I was contemplating Christianity, and contemplating, uh, trying to get my mind around as a as a child what it meant to be uh, have sin that separated me from God and that kind of thing. Trying to understand that as an elementary age student, um, I remember at one point getting really really focused and zeroed in on the concept of eternity. I mean that just really it and and for an eight year old that that was pretty scary, especially when you tied in eternity not in heaven right (laughs) you know and so so i just remember i just remember thinking about eternity and how long eternity was and and that just really um 
that that was really one of the things that 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 um that that I guess I, I wouldn't say pushed me or scared me into any kind of decision for Christ, but just remember, I just remember that was a part. I say all that because I think that was just a part of the whole process in my conversion is wrestling with what eternity really meant as much as an eight year old can wrestle with the concept of eternity, you know? And so, so I just, I just found this section um, and this doctrine interesting because I don't know that I ever thought of eternity as a doctrine. Um, But, but in, in looking at this and and reading through it, I, I can see how it is doctrine, especially compared to other religions that where eternity means something else, especially the Eastern mystic religions where eternity is either just cyclical. Um, and there is no, there is, there's just an endless cycle of birth and reincarnation, birth and reincarnation and karma and good and bad and all of those things that just never ends. Or the, the idea like in Buddhism where you just are absorbed into the Brahma, you just, you become, uh, you escape suffering by becoming nothing. Um, you so know, and, sad. And, and, and yeah, it is. And so there, there's in those concepts of eternity, um, there's, there's no, there's no hope of, of redemption. There's no hope of, of real justice. There's no hope of, of anything. Um, and so, so I, I, in reading through this section, I understand why eternity is such a, an important doctrine for believers, um, not just for their future and our eternal destiny, but uh, as, as Paul Tripp points out, what it means for us now, how do we live this life in light of that eternity? What, what difference should that make in the temporal world as we live for an eternal world? So this just kind of, this whole section just kind of changed my perspective on eternity, made me think a little bit more deeper uh, about it than when I was just fearfully thinking about it when I was an eight-year-old. Now I'm just kind of coming to grips with the fact that it is a doctrine that that we need to understand because it, 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 uh, it impacts how we, how we live today as, as followers of Jesus. So I, I just thought it was a really good, uh, good section. Yeah. Well, I like how he framed it around second Peter three, 11 through 13. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure I've read this before, but it just really struck me this time, like to, to my heart of just what that, what it means and like how from a, from Scripture, how I back up eternity and how we are to live in light of eternity. Um, it just, yeah, it struck my heart a little different this time. And yeah. it, when I read about this, when I read about eternity, it just breaks my heart for, you know, unreached people groups in the world, for my family members who don't know Christ, for my neighbor who I know doesn't know Jesus. You know, yeah. it, it breaks my heart to hear these things and this this verse encouraged me, but at the same time, like I really, I wrestle with this urgency. Uh, I know Platt calls it like a, a patient urgence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really wrestling with that. Like right. my, heart, my heart's kind of broken over right. this chapter and just thinking about the section where he breaks it off into the unrighteous and yeah. eternity. Yeah. Right. Just Absolutely. Really right. breaking my heart. I, I do think that, that um, when I'm, when I was reading through, this doctrine and, and some of the concepts of it, a, a couple of things came to mind in particular uh, regarding the temporal. Um, because, because the bottom line is we look for solutions to our problems in a world that is the source of our problems. Yeah. Um, and, and, so, and, and so Paul basically 
Paul tells us, along with, with Peter, like you've already mentioned the second Peter 3 passage, but Paul tells us in, in Romans 8, he says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That, that's huge. Every, every amount of suffering that we have to endure in the temporal world in this life is going to be far surpassed by a glory that awaits us in the future. This is this Romans 8, 18. He says for the 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. All of creation groans in this temporal world. And so our, where is our hope in that? Our hope is in this thing called eternity. Um, and in eternity, we know from Jesus's words that he has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is there, we may be also. And so when we, when we start thinking in terms of eternity, we realize that God stepped out of eternity and into time as he injected himself into creation. And then in the ascension, He stepped back into eternity. And so when we align ourselves with him, when we embrace the gospel and we identify in his death, his burial and resurrection, it's like we are living on this temporal timeline that started when we were born. We're living on this temporal timeline. And all of a sudden in our conversion, we are boosted to a timeline that has always existed. It carries us back to his cross in our conversion and it carries us forward into the, into glory. Um, you know, in, in glorification. And so, so eternity really does encompass, gives us the timeline by which we understand. And I know that's kind of an oxymoron because eternity and time are, are two different things, but, but it gives us the timeline of understanding of what the whole, all the other doctrines that we've been talking about uh, are, are found on. Um, justification and sanctification and glorification. All of that happens when we move from the temporal timeline to a timeline that has eternally existed, which is why when we talked about um, the concept of love and we talked about how uh, we know that God loves us or he has always loved us. There was never a time when God hasn't loved us. Um, Love begins in eternity past. Why? Because we're on that eternal timeline. Um, you know, when we, when, when we embrace the cross and, and the finished work of Christ. So, um, so we should live in light of that eternity because that's the timeline that we're living on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everything that we're living in this timeline, everything in the temporal is going to pass away. It's going to vanish. It's going to burn up. It, creation is groaning in anticipation of that. Yeah. yeah. I love the way he calls it uh, eternity, the foundational Christian interpretive tool. Says it yeah. should define the way you think about your past, present, future, yourself, God, meaning, and purpose. Uh, I just love that how it, how that, uh, like you, Mike. I really hadn't considered it that way. That that it is important because it should change absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah. John Seth brought up earlier that he kind of frames this doctrine of eternity uh, with Second Peter three eleven through thirteen. I'll read that really quick. Says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This was 
I was the same way with you, John Seth. So to me, this is a great example of someone that actually does what I'm trying to grow in, which is read scripture and read it slowly mm-hmm. and, and take it piece by piece and really unpack what that means. I love the way he breaks up the first verse. He says uh, what this verse is saying is that it's a since this is the reality, what then? It's an if-then sentence. He says, if these things are true, then this is how you should live. Talking about when he says, since all these things are to be dissolved, uh, we need to be people that live in holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I thought that was really interesting. It almost sounds uh, paradoxical. Right. Bit. You know, waiting, waiting and hastening. Right. So I thought that was really cool the way he unpacked yeah, what I did that too. looks like. I did too. Another verse, again, that kind of comes to mind that differentiates between the temporal and the and the eternal second corinthians 4 17 uh, actually verse 16 says uh, we don't lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction which is f- but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory mm. so it just it helps the doctrine of eternity helps us put temporal suffering in perspective yeah, it does it helps us it helps us understand that yes we in this body in this life in this temporal world we're going to deal with sickness and pain and suffering and despair and death and injustice and all of those things but all of that is being put to death it's all it is already perishing um but the inner man the spiritual person is being renewed day by day those who have trusted in Christ those who have been converted is being renewed each and every day and, and our hope is found in this exceeding and eternal weight of glory that, that we look forward to. Um, and so that's not, that's not necessarily easy. And that's not saying that it's easy that, oh, you know what, if you're, if you're suffering from depression or if you're suffering from illness or if you're dealing with hard times or, you know, you've just got situations that are bringing out stress that all you have to do is change your mindset <laughs> and start thinking about the eternal. Um, because if it were that easy, uh, yeah. then, then it would be that easy, but we all know it, it's not. Yeah. Um, and so, but this this calls us to something uh, beyond what we're experiencing now. And I would submit that it is grace that allows us to do that. Um, yeah. one, of, one of my favorite verses is Titus is in Titus 2. The uh, grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. But here it is, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, it, it, when we live for the eternal, then we're looking beyond um, all of the things that we're having to deal with here. Yeah. We're looking for that glor- glorious hope of his return. Yeah, yeah. and I think even, even more than just suffering as well, just in our day-to-day lives, if that, it, like you said, we know that all of this is going to burn up and it won't be there. But he, he says, talks about it being like absolutely insane to know that these things are going to be gone in an instant. But then we like dedicate our lives to these things instead of God. And right. just how if we were to put that in like an earthly perspective, if we're investing a ton of time and effort into a project that we know is just going to be gone, we wouldn't do that. We would call right. someone idiotic to do that. Right. But that's exactly what we're prone to do in our sin and in our flesh is to value the things of this world above of God and, and live our lives like that. But he also clarifies that he's not saying we can't enjoy things here. Right. I like what he says. He says, we are talking about what rules your heart and controls the way you live for your life. So it's not wrong to enjoy things that are temporary as long as we know that they are temporary. And that's not what is controlling our heart and controlling right. our life. We live for the glory of God yeah. because we live 
in light of eternity and with right. an eternal mindset. So, yeah, we've said that before with many of these doctrines. A lot of it isn't really. Um, it, it it's really what motivate what's motivating us in those things. It, it, you know, ambition is not a bad thing, but what what's motivating that ambition mm-hmm. um, is is what is where we we get in trouble. I, I did like the way that he, I think we mentioned it already, where where we talk about eternity um, in in light of the righteous and eternity in light of the unrighteous. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that was a, a good division, one that's a difficult division and yeah, one yeah. that's hard for people to, to talk to, one that even many believers tend to stay away from when they're trying to share the gospel with those who have yet to believe. Um, but I think it's, it's helpful and it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think splitting it up and talking about eternity in those two different ways um, is, is, is very helpful. Well, yeah, and like when you, when you read through that, my mind was just as I'm reading through the doctrine of eternity and the unrighteous, I just keep thinking to myself, like as I was reading this, like how hopeless mm. that life is. And when you put all of your eggs in the basket of the world, how you get to the end of your life and it's just right. so hopeless. But then you read the life of a believer and how they view eternity and it's so hopeful, and it, it is just such a contrast. And I, I'm, I'm glad you said what you said, Mike. It is necessary. It is very necessary because there's two total different outcomes at the end of this temporal life right. that is vital for people who are unrighteous to know now than to wait and before we're all bowing before God right. and Him to say, I don't know you, You're, and cast you into the lake of fire. Like that's... We have to, we can't avoid that. We have to say that or we're not being truthful. We're not telling the whole gospel. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He, he said something on, on, uh, on, on page 427 that when he made that statement, I was like, man, that's, that's really good. And there's a really good illustration that kind of goes along with that. The second paragraph, first line, Peter has just said that everything around us, all those things that locate and orient us. All of the physical things that occupy and entertain us, every single thing in this created world will be burned up. And then he says, look around right now. Everything that you are looking at will be gone. None of it is permanent. It will all evaporate in the searing heat of a final display of the glory of God's power. And then he says, let this sink in. And I started thinking about that, especially when he said all of those things that locate and orient us. Um, And I know and I get made fun of because I sometimes bring up the fact that that I was in Miami when Hurricane Andrew came through. But there have been others who have experienced devastating storms like this. Skyler went back to Panama City after Hurricane Michael, and there was a lot of devastation. You couldn't even tell where you were on I-10 sometimes because all of the natural markers that your brain just picks up uh, and and tells you automatically where you are, all of them, they were gone. And so I started thinking about that in, 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 in Hurricane Andrew. Everything was just devastated. There was nothing left. And so streets that I had grown up on, streets that I had traveled every day of my life, I was standing at an intersection that I had been going down two or three times a day because it was between uh, my house where I was growing up and Judy's house where she was growing up. And, and I traveled that road every day from high school on. And I was standing at an intersection and had no idea where I was. Because all of the mark, everything that oriented me, everything that located me, everything that my, bra- my mind, auto- my brain automatically assumed that, that took in all of, see, we don't realize how much we see 
that orients us to where we are. Mm. And what, what, what Peter is saying is that all of that stuff that comes automatically to us, all of that stuff that locates us and orients us, that helps us know where we are, all of that is going to be gone. Yeah. And we are going to be completely lost yeah. if we don't have the one thing that orients us to, the, to heaven, the one thing that orients us to eternity, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is going to be the only yeah. thing that locates us and orients us. And if we don't have that, when everything is gone, mm. we will understand what the Bible means when it calls people apart from God lost. Yeah. Wow. We'll, eternity is when we're going to realize that, yeah. what that means. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of that passage in Colossians 3, and you guys can speak to this until you're going through it, but just like if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where right. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So yeah. orient your life around things that are above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Right. So set right. your minds on mind on things that are above. Set your mind on eternity. Set your mind on Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Um, and that will be... You know, I think that's such a, when you're speaking about that, it's so important for us to orient our lives around Christ. Right. Not let other worldly things be things that might um, set our grounding in this life, yeah. the things that are temporal, but the things that yeah. are eternal is what we should be setting our minds on. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that's really good because I'm thinking of like living as the kingdom of God on earth because we, we live in the already but not yet like right. we say that so right. we've said that so often on sure. this podcast but in this chapter is like the, the whole purpose of the already but not yet is to set your mind on things that are above what orients us is living as christ tells us to live and living as the kingdom of god now yeah yes. we have a sliver of heaven in christian like being a christian on earth now. Yes. Because one day when we live in this kingdom of God, when we are, and it's totally upside down to the living of the world. Right. But when we live in that eternal view, which is where, you know, he kind of moves on into the everyday life in this doctrine. But when you live in with the eternal mindset, with eternity where you're focused instead of on the world, yeah. it, it, sh it helps us to keep our minds on things that are above. Yeah. Right. But I, and I think that that's a daily. Right perspective shift, or even just like a focus on yeah. eternity, yeah. it has to be a daily, like right. you said from Romans twelve, renewing yeah. of our yeah. mind. It has daily. to be intentional. Yeah, yeah. that also uh, it brings out what he means by waiting and hastening as well. To me, yeah. I, I love what he says here. Uh, I'll read it in a minute, but my mind goes to sometimes when we think of eternity, it can feel like it's so far off, or so, or you know, because we are waiting for something. But the hastening part is like you said, we are living godly and holy life, seeking Christ and fixing our eyes on him. I love what Paul Tripp says. Um, he has chosen us to be a tool to bring about what he has ordained. This means that what we do and say right now really does have eternal significance because like we've always said, yeah. he ordains the ends, but he ordains the means as well. Yeah. And the means by which he accomplishes his purposes are through us. Now yeah. what we say, what we do matters. It's not just waiting, but waiting and hastening the day that Christ will return. So, and, and I think a part of that hastening is we, we wait, mm -hmm. and, and part of that hastening is sharing the gospel, being on mission, accomplishing the Great Commission. That is, that is the hastening. Be yeah. Because, it, and, and I know we, we mentioned it earlier, 
you know, there's a saying out there that somebody could be so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we want to make sure that, that we're not saying that we can't enjoy the things of this right. world. What we're saying is that when we enjoy the things of this world, when we enjoy those aspects of creation that are enjoyable, it should always point us back to the goodness of the creator. So we enjoy creation to the goodness because of the goodness of the creator, yeah. not for the goodness of creation, but the goodness of the creator. So yes. we have to make sure that we're, we're enjoying the things of this life because the bottom line is this, um, Adam and Eve w- were originally intended to experience the blessing by living out God's will as they accomplished God's will to be fruitful and to multiply and to take dominion over that which God had entrusted to them, they would receive blessing and happiness and joy and all of that from doing what God had called them to do. Likewise, as we focus on eternity, we wait with anticipation, the glorious return of Jesus. We wait with anticipation, um, you know, the, the, the eternity that, that is coming. Uh, but we hasten that by, by doing the work that God has called us to do. And in doing that work, in all that that entails, we find blessing and happiness and joy and, and all of those things as well. So we can enjoy the temporal aspects of what God has, has given us, but we enjoy the temporal aspects of creation by living for the glory of Christ and his kingdom, by doing what Christ has called us to do, by living in obedience to his command, by, by uh, living according to his design. Even in a fallen world, living according to the design that that was that was created all the way back in eternity past. Right. Yeah. So could you say that those things that we can enjoy are means to an end if the end is God's glory or God himself? Yeah, I would I would say that I would say that. And I think even in in this temporal world, I mean, there are things that I enjoy that are probably completely meaningless. Mm. Um, But it's maybe at some deeper level. There's some some uh, there's some aspect of it that that can be used that that could be considered being used for the glory of God. I mean, I mean, if we're, if we're going, I mean, John Seth has the energy to go 24 seven for the glory of the kingdom. Me, I've got to take a break every once in a while. So, so if I'm, if I'm just vegging out in front of a, you know, a, a Netflix series, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm necessarily wasting my time. If it's, if it's time that's needed to regenerate. Now, if I'm doing that 24 seven and I'm not doing anything else for the glory of the kingdom, then, you know, I may have an issue. I may have a problem, but, but uh, so I, I do think that we can enjoy you know, family time and leisure time and vacation time and all of those things as a, as a part of a bigger picture perspective in what God has called us to do for the glory of his kingdom. And everything that we do comes under that umbrella when everything that we do is motivated by the concept of eternity that's coming. I mean, that, I that's think that's good. where he's, he's getting to yeah, that's good. in yeah. this is that we live this temporal life with eternity in mind yeah. and every aspect of, of our lives it could, should be motivated by that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Kind of it reminds me of what we talked about in creation, like the, like something like the glory of the grand Canyon should point us to God. Right. So if the end of the grand Canyon is the grand Canyon, you've missed the point. If the yeah. end of a great stake is the great stake, you've missed the point. That's All right. of these things. That's know? right. So, yeah. And if the end of a great stake is done well, well done, then you've missed the point entirely. Amen. Yeah. Because the end of a great stake is always medium rare. That's in correct. case listeners Come are on. wondering. That would fall under the denying his existence and taking your life in your own hands. That's right. A couple of things that stuck out to me in the doctrine of eternity and the unrighteous. Yeah. Um, we kind of have alluded to this, but if there is no final judgment of and punishment for sin, then the law was not necessary and the cross of Jesus Christ is not needed. That was really strong to me. 
Um, and then I think this thought of eternal punishment, hell, God's wrath and stuff, I, I think that's something that I've had to wrestle with a lot uh, in my faith journey. And I think that's for a lot of people that is. But he says something, a difficult truth here that was really good for me to read as well. Right at the end of this, before we get into the application, he says the fact that we think eternal punishment is harsh makes God less than uh, and makes God less than fair demonstrates how far we have strayed from the biblical understanding of how evil evil is and how gloriously holy God is. That's a really difficult truth, but it it really is. It really is true. We like to minimize our sin. We like to bring God down to our level, but that's not the way it is at all. Our our evil is endlessly evil and God is endlessly perfect and holy and so much different than we are, you know? Right. So I think because we want to be compassionate, because we want to be loving, we want, you know, we want to say God is love and all, all of those things. Um, we, we want to either deny outright the existence of any kind of eternal punishment, um, or, or, uh, minimize that by saying, well, it's a punishment, but maybe it's not going to be eternal. At some point, it'll be consumed. It'll just be annihilated. They'll just go away. And and I and existentially, you know, we can hope that that is true. We can hope that our friends that die apart from Christ will not will not uh, you know be subjected to an eternal torment and eternal punishment. Uh, the the problem is 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 we're tasked with with preaching what the Bible has has revealed about God and His nature and character, and it's hard. It, it, I would say that it is difficult to defend any other position, especially given the 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 uh, parable that he quotes in Matthew twenty five mm-hmm. um, to, that talks uh, specifically about the doctrine of eternity and the unrighteous. Um, where where and I did kind of I, I did kind of I found it a little funny as I was reading back through that parable. This is where Jesus talks about how at the end um, the the mass the God is going to separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep are are going to go uh, into eternal life and the goats are going to go into eternal death eternal separation and and I and I started thinking about the vernacular of our day and and in our culture sheep are bad things uh, nobody wants to be a sheep. Uh, that's a derogatory statement made by people, especially in the political realm for those who just blindly follow, you know, whatever anybody's saying. And what, what I find really interesting about that is there are sheep on both sides of the aisle, just that nobody will want to admit that. Um, (laughs) but then also culturally the goat goats are like the greatest of all time. Right? So in our culture, our culture has this, uh, and I know it's all semantics, it's vernacular. It would not, it, I would not say that this is, this is definitely eisegesis. I'm reading culture into something that it wasn't right. intended to be uh, in, the, in the Bible. But it, I just find it interesting that our culture is so upside down <laughs> that is. we think goats are the greatest of all time and sheep are just, are just you know, whatever. And we find here Jesus using those, those same metaphors to describe those who are followers of him who will enter into eternity with him and those who are rebellious against them called the goats that are going to be separated from him. And this is, this is where it's important. He says, um, he says, uh, truly I, I say to you, as you did not do it to, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So right there, Jesus gives us the dichotomy of eternity. Both are eternal. One is to life. One is to punishment. And so we have not been given any authorization to revise what Jesus has already revealed about eternity. Um, and so again, 
existentially and in my compassion and in my love for my brothers and fellow mankind. I, I hope that we're wrong in the interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. But when we're preaching it and when we're teaching it and when we're talking about it, we have to stay with what we, what we believe to be true according to scripture, um, whether we, whether we like it or not, whether, whether we can get our minds around it or not, we have to, we have to come to grips with the fact that God's ways are not our ways and his reasons are not our reasons. And somehow he's going to be glorified whether, whether in the sheep who go into eternal life and he's going to be glorified in the goats who go into eternal punishment. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, there's a dichotomy there that we can't undichotomize. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, it's a good word. Yeah. Thanks. Let's, let's use it. Um, I like how he introduced that parable. He, uh, just before that, he says, God has revealed to us the truth of the dark side of eternity because he loves us. Wow. And you may see that so clearly in right. this parable because he's not, he's not sharing this parable to condemn, but he's, he's right. Yeah. It's a warning. Warning. Yeah. yeah. It's because he loves us. Yeah. And he referenced that, references that at the very end of this chapter. He says, the horrors of hell are laid out for us as a loving warning mm. from a perfectly holy but tender hearted heavenly father. Amen. Um, yeah. So he, Jesus teaches on these things, but it's from a, it's from his holy perspective, right. but it's also for our care. Yeah. Yeah. It's and a it's, warning for us. Yeah. It's so convicting too. thinking about the thing we say every week. We want to reach people with the gospel in our city, in our nation and across the globe. And it's like, this should create such an urgency for that. Right. right. And so often we don't have that urgency that this should create. Right. So. It's because we minimize the effects of, of, of eternal torment. We, we really, yeah. we, we minimize the effects of sin. We, we just, yeah, we minimize what sin is. So we can't even begin to imagine an eternal yeah. torment yeah. or punishment for it. Um, and, and the thing is, is this is not just a new Testament concept, by the way, there, this, uh, the, the Jewish people understood the, this concept as well. They had one name for the afterlife Sheol, but, but, but I mean, if you read the book of Jonah, if you want to see a picture of what hell is, you read the book of Jonah and see what Jonah went through. Uh, because because when I when I start thinking about eternity and I start thinking about uh, eternal punishment, it, you know, uh, we we understand that that it is an it is a uh, a separation from God. Not I wouldn't go so far as to say hell is an is the absence of God because the Bible says no matter where you go, David said, if I go to the heights of heaven or to the depths of Sheol, you're there. You're, I mean, everything belongs to God. Everything is under God's sovereignty. Everything is under His care uh, and His watch. But, um, but, but separation from God. And that's what Jonah experienced. Um, he experienced in his rebellion in his running away. God honored that. He just had the guys throw him overboard and get swallowed up by a fish. And so he just, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the hull of the boat. He went down into the depths of the ocean. Everything was down, down, down. Everything was going down, getting further and further and further away from God. The more he rebelled, the more he hardened his heart, the further away from God he got. And God let him, God just let him keep going that way. Um, until he got to a point where he, where he cried out. And so in the, in the belly of that fish, he was separated from God. He was experiencing, um, uh, a, a separation and a darkness and a torment that, uh, that is beyond imagination, uh, beyond anything yeah. I could, I could even comprehend, uh, or want to try to comprehend. I mean, yeah. I, I told you earlier, I was, you know, I, I laid in bed at night thinking about how long eternity really is. If I lay in bed and I'm thinking what it's like to be in the belly of a fish for three days, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go, I'd go nuts. Yeah. Um, and we live in know. a day where we still have the chance to cry out, right? Like Jonah does, exactly. 
But there's a day That's where right. we will no longer be able to cry out from the belly right. of the fish. Right. And we'll cr- people who don't know Jesus will be crying right. out. Right. But it's for all of eternity now. Exactly. And, and that's the point that Jesus makes when he tells the parable of the rich, the, the rich man and Lazarus the beggar. And, and, and Jesus tells that parable for a reason. We can't ignore the story that he tells uh, because he describes in that afterlife a chasm. Uh, one where you are in, in heaven and one where you are in the, the pits of hell under torment. And he describes the torment. And the guy... The guy is separated from God. And that's why I say it's not an unawareness. He knows what he's missing out on. He sees what's there and he's separated from it. And there is no way to get to it. And and he wants somebody from that place to come and relieve him of his torment. And there is no relief coming. Um, And then he wants somebody to go back and warn the brothers. And it's like, it's like, you know, we sent the prophets. God sent his word. God sent his son, you know, and, and people still don't believe. Um, but you're right, John Seth, there's going to come a time when they're going to be very aware of the separation from God and the torment that they're going to have to endure for all eternity. And it'll be too late to cry out. And like go, going to what David said, you know, that, that's my main application for this. Um, uh, for the doctrine of eternity is the urgency for the gospel today because there are people dying apart from Christ who are going to experience eternal, eternal torment and eternal punishment for their sin. And so that, that if nothing else should instill, if we're going to live in light of eternity, that is the number one priority for those who call themselves Christians is to live in light of eternity, doing the work of the great commission. Yep. That's right. I love how he talks about the uh, fighting, the eternity amnesia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to forget. And, yeah. and turn our focus and our, our values as he talks about back to earthly things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He calls it a gospel stubbornness. Right. I, mm-hmm. I love that yeah. terminology. Yeah. He's like, you can be stubborn for yourself or right. you can have a stubbornness of your faith. Right. And that I love, I, I'm going to use that language yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, we know that selfishness is built into the DNA of sin. I mean, that is kind of the, the, the precursor to everything. Um, he uses even even curse language here, the language of the curse from Genesis 3, yeah. and talking about, um, about if we're living a, a temporal life, um, fighting, uh, if we're living a life of, of eternity amnesia, we're, we're wanting too much from people. We're expecting too much from our relationships. Um, we lose sight of eternity when we constantly are asking the people near us to deliver a, to us the paradise our hearts long for. And that's, that's, that's language of Genesis 3 when God said, okay, you want to create a world for yourself. You don't want to trust the world that I've created. You want to rebel against me and you want to make things your own. You want to create your own design. This is what it's going to be like. Wives are going to marry husbands who were originally intended to be able to meet every need they would ever have. But now they would be in love with a guy who would be impossible for him to meet those needs uh, to, to a level of satisfaction that was originally designed. And, and, and men, the work that you were supposed to do, that was supposed to, that was supposed to be fulfilling and satisfying and enjoyable and provide for you and your family and all those things. Guess what? It's not going to happen anymore. And so those, those relationships at work that, that were supposed to be, um, that were supposed to be edifying and encouraging and strengthening and all of that, you're, you're going to go to work and you're just, you're going to, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow and it's going to create stress and it's going to create strife. It's going to create conflict and all of those things. And in all of that, we can see 
in our relationships today, whether it's work or home or children and all those things, there's always this element of, of, uh, of conflict and strife in those things. When we, if, if our mind is set on being in those relationships in order to find some level of satisfaction, because we're never going to find a level of satisfaction that will be truly satisfying. And, and so, so that's what happens when we, when we have this eternity amnesia, when we forget that we're living in light of eternity, we demand too much of our spouses, more than they could ever possibly deliver. And somehow we, that doesn't matter to us. We just keep on demanding it. Um, and, and, and that's just one, one aspect of, of that eternity amnesia that, that he talks about. Lacking incentive and hope, being more disheartened than thankful. I mean, all of all of this. If this chapter doesn't do anything except give us a metric, uh, it really does the, yeah. to measure ourselves and whether we're living in light of the temporal light of eternity. Mm. Uh, yeah. Am I in a self evaluation? Am I more disheartened than I am thankful about things? Am I living in an attitude of contentment, or am I always wanting more? You know, is is my hope based on the next ambitious goal that I have to reach? Um, because we all know people who just they seem to live in constant states of misery. They're always disheartened um, and everything else. They're, they're seldom grateful. And, and so I, I don't want to be that, but I know that sometimes I can be, I think I get in those seasons where I can be. Yeah. I think all, all of these give me, give me uh, categories for, for just my failures really. Yeah. You know, and, and really a lot of that is just not living in light of, of eternity. Right. I love how these doc because the, the point of these doctrines and the point uh, I mean of this is to help us fix our eyes is to help us be content in certain situations. He speaks to that, and it's just so counterculture, countercultural, um, because he he calls it they got to have it now or I won't be half happy self obsession self obsession of our culture. And that's like, that's so what we live in all yeah. the time. Like we yeah. got to have it now. That's why we yeah. have fast food. That's why yeah. we have a microwave, all the, all these things, a streaming service. You don't have to go to the movies, all of these things. <laughs> we just live in a culture where it's, you have to have it now, but it, he says it never produces peace of mind and heart. It never results in contented living, but eternity calls me to look beyond my momentary hopes and, and dreams, wants and needs and opportunities and difficulties. Yeah. So the, the doctrine of eternity, it, grounds again it's foundational right. I mean, we say it all the time for all of these doctrines it helps us be content in our current state of living and to counteract yeah. the, the culture around us that is it's the opposite i mean it's complete opposite they got to have it now or i won't be happy mm-hmm. uh, self-obsession of our culture that's yeah. what we live in and so how do we how do we counteract that well it's in it's in Grounding ourselves in right. Christ. And there are some practical things that we can do to help establish that in ourselves. I mean, one of the reasons, well, I think one of the main symptoms or maybe the effects of this, I got to have it now kind of thing is the amount of national credit card debt mm-hmm. that, that we see. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, we can bring it into some practical examples of, okay, you want to be intentional about living for eternity, then let's, let's be intentional about delayed gratification. Let's say, okay, there's something I want. But but maybe it's something that and, and maybe it's something that God wants me to have. But let me let me take my time in getting to it. You know, mm-hmm. let me let me do it in in a godly way rather than yeah. in a in a self absorbed sure. self sacrifice self yeah. way yeah selfish way yeah. yeah. 
Um, that's really good, and that's not how and, we and think most right, of the time. Right now, I don't mean but to, I, I don't mean to trivialize the, that that whole concept by bringing yeah. it into something like you know this monetary. But yeah, I do think that that's a reflection of our well. Our, that shows intentionality on right and on our end uh, as a believer of how we can fight against those things, right? Yeah. right. In a practical yeah. way. I mean, it, it goes case by case, person by person. Yeah. But exactly, you know, there are certain things in our lives that we can look at and apply these things in a in a practical way, right? Um, that help us to practice yeah because i think even even the doctrine of eternity would impact our stewardship yeah uh, the stewardship of the resources that yeah, god has given absolutely. us absolutely because and there there's the thing again if you if you see something that you want and you're willing to wait until you can afford it right then maybe by the time you get yeah. there you realize you know what it's just not worth it anymore you know yeah but, but we don't do that we see it we want it so we go put it on a card and then we're paying for it sometimes even past its life right you know so that just yeah you know, that, that's the right. problem with the, the temporal, I think. Yeah. I, I really like the idea, too, of living with a preparation mentality, not yeah. a destination mentality. Mm. Um, you know, we, we talk a, a lot about, um, you know, the, the vacation is, 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 is really good. Um, but for me, the, the, the journey there is, it can be good, too. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to, th- to think beyond, you know, For for Clark Griswold in the first the first vacation that was Wally World was the destination you know and the trip getting there was horrible Um, and so we we tend to think in terms of destination and let's get there as quick as possible Uh, but when it comes to eternity I think I think the preparation for it is Mm -hmm. that's what this life is about God uses this life to prepare us for our eternal destiny Mm -hmm. I, I started thinking like a UFC fighter. Who like they yeah. have to wait for their next fight? It's not like basketball, where or soccer or football, where you got a week and you got another game. Right. For UFC fighters, sometimes like you're you're waiting a couple months, yeah, and you have a couple months to prepare for this next fight. And I I think that's just where my mind went on this like preparation mentality, right? Of you know we we are preparing, we are waiting, we are even hastening that day. But it, when when that's how we do that, we right. train, we right. We have spiritual disciplines. We think with eternity in, in the forefront of our minds because of this day where, you know, our fight right will end. Right. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Right. And we are training. We're we're trying to get other people to come along with us to, to train with us to to fight this fight. Right. And, yeah. and, and you know, Scripture uses those terminologies mm. all the time. But when, in this section, I just thought of like, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I'm a sitting, UFC fighter now. Yeah, <laughs> sitting around doesn't take a commitment, but preparation does take a commitment. And, yeah. and, and, and here's and to that, I, I think too, um, that requires patience. Yeah, and and a hastening because yeah. for me, it be it's real easy for me. To think, well, that that's two months out. So what what do I got to do anything now for? <laughs> I could start later, yeah. and and that infects us if we're thinking of, if we're thinking in terms of of now and self gratification and temporal. Um, and and it, when you said that, it just made me think. In the second, I wonder if that's why if that's why God established in Israel and then the church carried on a weekly time together. Um, because, because it's a, it's a routine of that, that doesn't, that reduces the chance of being distracted. If if you think about it, when you're away from that for any length of time, that's when, that's when the distractions impact your life the most. But if you, if you submit to an 
ongoing and regular basis uh, uh, of, of training, you know, of worshiping, of doing those things, you're, you're involved on a, you're less likely to stop. Like for me, when, when, when in a, if, if you want to run a marathon um, that requires training up front, but, but here's what I would do. Like it's, it's, it's September. Um, I would say, okay, I, I'm in no shape to run the Savannah rock and roll marathon in November this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for the Savannah rock and roll marathon in November of 2023. So I'm going to go on and I'm going to sign up. I'm going to be ready to go. And then I'm going to go online and find a training program. That's an 18 week training program. <laughs> so that, so that, what that, what that tells me is I've got, I've got, you know, seven or eight months before I have to do anything. So I'm going to sit around and do nothing for seven or eight months. Couch to marathon. And then, and then I'm going to do a couch to marathon program in 18 weeks, you know, and, and, I'm, and when I get to the marathon, it's going to be substandard. It's going to be garbage. I'm going to be, I'm going to feel horrible and I might not even make it um, because I didn't, I didn't start when I needed to start, which is now, mm-hmm. you know, setting my thing, setting my goals towards then looking to the future in, in, in what we're talking about here, setting my minds like Skylar said on things above and doing that now, not, not thinking, you know what? I'm healthy. I'm good. Um, there are some other things going on right now. I know I need to be thinking about eternal things. I know I need to be doing the work of Christ. I know I need to be living for the glory of the kingdom, but, and I'm going to get really serious about it when I, but I need to get into a better position here and now. And once I get things settled here, then I'm going to start thinking about that over there. And, and the the problem with that mentality is you never start thinking about the things there because you never truly, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, this place is in your home and you should never actually be satisfied um, by the things that the world offers. We should be content, but never our satisfaction doesn't come from the things that, that make us content. Our satisfaction comes from Christ and Christ alone. Yeah. And credit to Paul Tripp for something I said a few minutes ago. He says, preparation is hard. It takes commitment, discipline, endurance, and a constant eye on the prize that is to come. So that my response to you, John Seth, but it really wasn't for me. That was something Paul Tripp said. Preparation takes yeah. commitment. Well, Paul says it in Ephesians 5, too. When I think of that, he's talking about walking in love and walking in light. And then, he, and then he says, walk in wisdom. Mm-hmm. And he says in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Here it is. Why? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Yeah. So the, how do we redeem the time? How do we redeem what is temporal? By living in light of eternity. Mm. Um, that's how we redeem the time because the day is coming when we will step out of time and into eternity. And so we need to make the most of what God has given us in this time, knowing that if we do so, we will experience blessing even in this moment. Our eternal life is, is quantitative. I mean, there is a, I mean, it is, it is, there, it is measured by length. It goes on forever, but it's also qualitative. It, it, there's a quality of eternal life yeah. that is unmatched to a quality yeah. of anything this temporal life can, can possibly give to us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Trip says there's nothing so different from what you're experiencing now as eternity is. So there's nothing that should, that should focus your thinking more than eternity should. It's just that different. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about eternity and the question has come up um, and we'll on another podcast, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this um, because everybody has this idea of heaven and what, what the afterlife is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like. Um, 
I, I really, the more I think about it and the more I, I read up about it, the more I, I study scripture uh, about these kind of things, when I look back at the garden, um, I, I can't help but think that what God originally intended prior to Genesis 3 was a world filled with righteousness, filled with, with a creation of his people who lived righteously in, in perfect harmony and fellowship with him. And so, so I think that Christ is not only redeeming the spiritual. I think that's the reason for the second coming, by the way. Christ redeemed the spiritual at the cross in the first coming. I think he's coming back to redeem the physical as well. Mm -hmm. And so all of creation will be transformed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that new heaven and that new earth is, is going to be a mix of spiritual and physical that we can't get our minds around because all we've ever known is this. It's going to be, uh, uh, I mean, we're going to be interacting with one another. We're going to be interacting with all of creation. We're going to be interacting with angelic beings. We're going to be interacting with our creator in a way that is beyond, beyond comprehension right now. And, and so we, we very well could live and work and rule and reign with Christ in that moment. There will, and, and, and so there is going to be work that is productive, that accomplishes something. But even in that work, it's going to be, you'll, you'll, you'll feel satisfied and blessed in it because it's going to be righteous work, whatever, whatever that work is. Being fruitful and multiplying and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what that is. But there's going to be something that we'll be doing that will bring satisfaction and, uh, and fulfillment to us. And, and it will be for all eternity. And, and thrown in that mix is going to be joining our voices with angelic beings to worship the one who has done all of this for us, who's invited us into uh, this triune Godhead relationship mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy fellowship with him forever and ever. It's just, it's just an unbelievable thing to be able to think about. Yeah, um, and we really just can't get our, our minds around it. Um, so I think that there is going to be a purpose to heaven beyond just floating on clouds and playing harps that everybody kind of kind of right. thinks there is. Yeah, there. right. So I, I do think that it's important, um, uh, again, going back to the Old Testament, um, Ecclesiastes, that famous chapter three, uh, there's a time for everything, a time for this, a time for that. Right at the end of that, in verse 11, it says, and God put eternity in, into men's hearts. God is the one who instilled this concept of eternity into us. Um, and, and, so he, and he's done so for the reasons that we've been talking about today. And I think what we see, if you want to know the difference between living for eternity and living for now, is just look at the difference in Solomon and the writings of Proverbs and the writings of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. When Solomon is living with eternity in mind, he's writing the Proverbs. Yeah. Those are the things that aren't necessarily going to happen every time. They're not, they're not like sayings that if you do this, it's going to turn out this way every time. They're sayings that describe the the uh, the way we are to live in light of eternity. Now, will there be different outcomes depending on the circumstances and the people we're dealing with? Absolutely. But but we apply those proverbs to our lives, and when we do, we're living with eternity in mind. And when you get to Ecclesiastes, and all he's living for is pleasure and power and fame and fortune and all of this other stuff, he comes to the conclusion that all is hopeless and futile. Everything is vain. Everything is a vapor. Everything is going to go away. And he's absolutely right. So Ecclesiastes is Solomon living for the temporal. Proverbs is Solomon living in light of eternity. And so I think uh, in, those, in those two contrasts, 
it's very clear which one those of us who are followers of Christ should be living towards. Mm. Uh, we should be, we should be living towards because even, even when he describes living for the temporal and the hopelessness that comes from that, the final truth in that is that if we want any kind of hope, it, it'll all start with fear of the Lord. Amen. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all, all of that wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. Skylar, you got a hymn for us. Both of you, you got, got a hymn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're all on the same page here. I'll count you guys down. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. When we all <laughs> get to Jesus, that was, uh, when we all—that's not the words. No, okay. This one is a hard one to come up with a, a hymn. I mean, there's I not one. many like eternity. Like we can sing songs about. I mean, my thought was almost home, um, but that that speaks to eternity in some light, but it also speaks to like glorification. Yeah. So almost home reads, don't, I love this first line. Don't drop a single anchor. Mm-hmm. Don't, I mean, like, don't give into the temporal things. Yep. Yes. We're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now. We're almost home. That promised land's calling. We're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then. We're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. This journey ours together. And to that great forever, what song anew we'll sing round that happy throne, come faint of heart, we're almost home. This life is just a vapor. The sun is setting yonder for you, Mike. (laughs) Take courage for this darkness shall break to dawn. Oh, lift your eyes, we're almost home. Press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. Yeah, that's good. That first line is so strong, though, like you said. Yeah. And that is right in line with... The application that we've had yeah. when we are trying to make these temporal things in, in, in and of themselves, we're trying to drop an anchor in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost home is good. I like yeah. that. That's a really good one. Thanks for joining us for Coffee, Rants, and All Things Christian. Don't forget about the form on our website where you can send us questions, pbclc.com slash podcast. Follow or subscribe to us and leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next time. Bye.